0: Welcome, everybody, outdoor venue. We love you. We see you. We're glad you're here. Daria's usually out there. We are pumped to baptize you a little bit later. Can y'all show her some love and just say, we're pumped and we're in it with you in addition to that i want to say hello to everybody online we love you guys we see you and we're glad you're here from wherever you are here from Uh, you are a part of the family and we're glad you're joining us as well we've got two more weeks left in this series that we've been working through called faith like a champion and trust me when i say we're here to grow a deep and lasting faith and when i say that I don't mean we're just trying to add an extra prayer before dinner and some more church attendance to your life. That's not what we're talking about when we talk about growing great faith. We're talking about growing the kind of faith That is an anchor for your soul we're talking about a faith and a confidence in who Jesus is that's real not arbitrary where you can walk in a world with tons of chaos all around you but in that world you have confidence you feel connected and calm because you are connected to Jesus in a real relationship with him. That is what we're here to build. We're trying to build the kind of faith that is worth passing to the next generation. If you have some kids or you're one of our student leaders and you disciple kids or you'd like to have kids one day, trust me when I say they do not need us handing them any more obligatory rule following and arbitrary tradition. What those kids need is and what they will be thankful for one day is seeing somebody model a real faith, a A real, like, I know Jesus, He knows me, and I have strength and confidence because of that kind of faith. That is what we're here to build in this series and over and over in this series, we've said this phrase, great faith grows through intentionality, not accidentally. So what we said is there's no such thing as an accidental champion. There's never been that time when they interview somebody in any sport whatsoever, tennis, water polo, curling, football, baseball, basketball, whatever your thing is, After the championship has been won and the MVP is there, and there's a microphone, and they go, "Oh my gosh, tell us about this." He's like, "I don't really know, man. This is crazy. I never. I just kind of showed up this morning, and everything just worked." No, great faith. Every type of champion, every type of faith grows through intentionality, not by accident. You're not going to slip and fall in whoopsie land in great faith. And so we've been looking at this list and working our way through this list. And we talked about teaching. And when you hear something taught in the Bible, what matters is living it, not just learning it, what the private disciplines of prayer and even a little time with God can make a huge difference in your life. We've talked about relationships and not doing this thing alone. And we're going to shift gears completely today and we're gonna talk about pivotal circumstances. And I wanna stop and I wanna slow and I wanna be deliberate right now. And I wanna talk about the painful moments. I wanna talk about this morning, times when life doesn't go how it should. I want to talk if we were all being honest or it was just me and you and you and me and we were just talking with one another and I said, tell me about something you've been through hard, that story of that time that marked you. Maybe you are in that season of that time that is marking you currently, whatever that is. We want to talk about those today. They're a little bit different than the other things on the list because I can go get some practical teaching. I can go get some ministry and involve and serve and love people, but pivotal circumstances are something that happens to me. And so today, as we talk about that, I just want to say from the jump um, there's this book I read and this book I learned from as I was walking through this. And Pastor Jeff Mannion wrote this incredible book called The Land Between. Okay, so two things as I start. Number one, if you hear me say something uh, profound today, uh, thank Jesus and thank Pastor Jeff because I drank deeply from this book as I prepared. Number two, if you hear something today and you're like, holy cow, he was reading my emails this week because that's where I'm at right now this isn't where I want to be right now but it's where I'm at right now and you're like I need more I need help I'm telling you this book is incredible it is a great resource and a great way to get uh, to continue in the journey but uh, of all the profound things that that Pastor Jeff says in this book one of the ones that was most helpful for me and most transformative for me as I studied this week was what he calls the land between And Pastor Jeff does such a great job in this book of explaining to you, yes, sometimes your pain is acute trauma. Sometimes it's the car accident, the relationship that ended, the huge, big, horrible event that you can point to and say that's when it is, that's when it started, that's when it finished, and that pain is in fact valid. But what he said so well in this book is for so many of us, what pain looks like is that long, dull season when you're caught between the pain and the promise. I know God's good. I know He's out there. I know He's up there. I even think He cares about me, but right now I feel removed from that care and it just feels painful. It's when you're trapped between the problem which has become so present and the solution which just hasn't fallen in your lap before. The land between could be the 10 months of negative pregnancy tests and inconclusive fertility tests that you keep getting from the doctor. It could be a season of financial distress when all of a sudden there's more bills that you're responsible for than ever and less to go around. It could be when you land in that unexpected place. I didn't expect I would be here. I thought we'd be farther along by now, there'd be a little more by now, things would be doing a little bit better. I thought all of this pain I'm feeling was just a season, but that season turned into a season that turned into a season. And it's been 18 months, and I don't know when it's going away it could be that time when you've come to fully understand that this isn't the job for you anymore and then the resumes went out and the ideas went out and you know this isn't the place for you but I haven't seen that new place yet you know you're in the land between when you start saying the words for now well for now I'm just kind of rebuilding financially for now we're just trying to stick together and get through it. For now, I'm just going to work until I get accepted somewhere. For now, things aren't what I thought they were going to be. Make no mistake about it, in a world that is fallen, in a world that is broken, and in a world that has been marked by sin, most of us are either in the land between right now We either just got out of the land between or don't let me be the one to spoil it for you. Chances are if you're not in one of those two locations, it's probably going to be a few months before you find yourself in the land between. We live in a broken and fallen world and what we're going to do is attack one question together this morning. The question is this, what might God be up to in us in the land between? Why are we here? Why does He allow this to happen to us? What are we supposed to do with this? What God, if you are in fact a good God who sees this right here and right now, what are you doing? What do you want to shape in me? What do you want to change in me? What do you want to take out of me that shouldn't be there? What do you want to put in me that I need that's not in there yet? We're going to attack this question. What might God be up to in us in the land between? Now, if you were in the land between, I can tell you exactly where you are in the Bible. You're right here. We're going to drop in on a story that begins In the second chapter of the Bible, book of Exodus, chapter 3, the people of God, Israel, there's Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, and after Joseph, this people of Israel, who's about 400,000 strong, end up enslaved in Egypt, and if you've watched The Prince of Egypt, or what's the Charlton Heshton movie that I used to watch as a kid growing up, Ten Commandments, baby, come on, don't be shy, that was good, Uh, there's that one, and there's probably a bunch of other movies, but God raises up a leader named Moses, and Moses says, hey, let my people go, and God steps into history and moves powerfully to set this group of slaves called Israel free. And he's got a land for them that he wants them to go. If you kind of follow the blue blue arrows around him up, it's the land of Canaan. If you've read your Bible or are familiar with this sort of stuff, they call it the land flowing with what? Milk and honey. But when we drop in on Israel... In Numbers chapter 11, they are neither in slavery in Egypt, nor are they in the promised land where God has said he will deliver them. We're two years into their journey, and they're trapped in the land between. Anybody know what they ate on this journey from Egypt to the promised land? What did they eat when they were in the land between? Anybody read the story before they ate what? Manna. I was studying all about manna, and it's kind of interesting. This is this food that God provided for them miraculously. uh, If you go back and read the story about their journey, and it would appear two times a day, and scientists have speculated, like, what it is or how God provided it. Did he work through natural processes to provide this food for them? Nobody's really certain. It was like this power bar, kind of God bar stuff that he would mix up, and they would go collect, and they would eat it one of two ways. And they would either mash it up in the mochahete. Like, is that how you say that? Is that the the crush, you know, where you crush it up? Yes. White boys got a little language to them this morning. I I researched it. Or they would make a little pancake out of it and eat the pancake. If it's me, I'm going the pancake because that's also more like tortilla and we could get down on the manna in the morning. Now, here's the funny thing too about manna. Manna is not like this name that God gave it. He's like, it will be called manna. Manna is the name that the Israelites give it because it simply means the words, what is it? So they would go out and they'd be like, hey, you're going to eat? And like, yeah, let's eat. And like, hey, did he put it out here this morning? And like, yeah. Hey, what is that? I don't know. But it just shows up every night, every morning. It's out there. It's the what is it. They'd wake up. Hey, you hungry? Let's go grab that. What is, what is that? What is, I don't know. Boom. They just call it the what is it. Now, what we're going to see when we visit Israel in the In the text, in Numbers chapter 11, if you want to go there in the Bible or whatever it is, uh, what we're going to see is the great manna riots of Israel. The great manna riots of the land between because we're going to drop in on Israel and they've been eating manna two times a day, every day, for two years. Numbers chapter 11 verse 4 says this, The rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, if only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost, all the cucumbers and melons and leeks and onions and garlic, but now we've lost our appetite. We've never seen anything but this, this what is it? And we're tired. And I want to invite you into the text, okay? I want to invite you, sometimes we kind of read from above the text and there's all this time and space and emotion, emotional distance between us and the words of scripture, but I want you to read this. I want you to walk two years in their sandals. And I want you to feed on this and tell me how you would be doing if you were eating that too. Uh, I don't know if anybody ever grew up broke and you had a season of your life where you were trying to make it and you had to eat the same food over and over and over again and now you can't even think about that food anymore because that food just grosses you out and it reminds you of that time in your life anybody been there just me you've been there okay you know that for me I'm not going to tell you what it was because I don't want to see some diss letter from Progresso for their creamy jambalaya but that stuff is trash and like two or three times a week when I was a church intern and saving up all my money so I could get bread a ring and we could get married and all this stuff I would have a slice of bread with peanut butter on it and a can of that gumbo from, it wasn't Progresso actually, it was Healthy Choice. Take that, Healthy Choice. Don't buy it guys, okay, trust me. But I would dip the peanut butter. It was literally like, how can I get the most calories in my body and some vegetables for the least amount of money? And so two or three times a week, I would dip the the peanut butter bread in the gumbo and eat that and then I'd finish the gumbo and you're making a terrible face at me right now and trust me it was in fact that bad and and I can't even go when I see that soup in that aisle I scowl like I don't even mean it like I see it and it brings something up in me and here goes Israel they're not where God said they would be they're in the land between they're eating this manna and it's two times a day every day for two years and they're fed up And you might think the land between, you might think nothing can really grow in the desert, but make no mistake about it, the land between is fertile ground for complaining. Can I read verses 5 and 6 to you again? If only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic. But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this man of God. We were better off without you. God, why have you done this? God, if you hadn't stepped in and you would have just left us to do us, if you were up there doing what you should be doing, clearly things would be going better for us down here. The land between is fertile ground for complaint. They believe God is keeping good things from happening to them. They have aimed their anger at Him. How could you let this happen? How come good things keep happening to all of them but not us? We've been saying our prayers. We've been doing the things. We've been following you. Why are we right here, God? How could you let this be? Momentum, make no mistake about it, in the land between, your heart is in real danger. You might ask where's Moses for this? Where's the prince of Egypt? Where's God's guy? He's the hero of this thing, right? Like, isn't he the one that kind of let him out and had his brother and they got together and Ten Commandments and they all live happily ever after? Where's God's guy for all this? Well, we find him in verse 10. It simply says this, Moses was troubled. He asked the Lord, why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you that you've put the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive of these people? Did I give them birth? Why did you tell me me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant to the land that you promised on oath to our ancestors? Where can I get meat for all these people? They keep wailing at me. Give us meat. I can't carry all of these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. Make no mistake about it. The land between is fertile ground for burnout. Moses isn't tired. He hasn't had a bad day. He's done. I know he's done because when I read one more verse in that section, I get these words from Moses. If this is how you're going to treat me, please go ahead and kill me. If I found favor in your eyes... Do not let me face my own ruin. Moses is not at the end of his rope. He's held on to his rope so long. The burn in his forearms grew so strong. The cramps in his hands have gotten so bad. He's let go of his rope and he now finds himself in a free fall. Have you been there? I've been there. Moses is there. And the land between, because the land between is fertile ground for burnout. Burnout is growing to become a way more common occurrence in our culture, but the church is a little late on talking about it. I want to sit down on this a minute. How do you know that you're burning out? How do we know we've gotten past tired and we're weary? How do we know that we're hitting stages of exhaustion where this now becomes who we are? I'll give you five signs. You know, burnout is knocking when your motivation has faded. When you are still doing the same thing that was so exciting to you six months ago, but you're exhausted by it now. You don't want to go do it anymore. You might know what you're calling. You might know you're supposed to help them. You might know you're supposed to have an arm and journey the journey with them, but you're too tired to do it. So you just don't want to you burn out when your main emotion is numbness. What I mean is, at stage one over here, when we're talking about manageable weariness, I'm tired, that was a hard day. Okay, well I felt angry for a little while, but I went to bed and I woke up and I feel good now. Uh, I feel really tired and I'm kind of exhausted, and woo wee, man, and a good night's sleep, and oh, I'm feeling better. When we're talking burnout, we're talking the thing I feel is nothing. I don't even feel anger anymore. I don't even feel tired anymore. I just feel nothing. People drain you, that's isolation. Self-medicating with drink or pills or food or pleasure in unhealthy proportions. Burnout is knocking when you have fantasies of escaping. When you start going, man... Maybe it's not too late for me to switch gears, and I mean, they'll be fine without, I could just do this. My friends, if you see the signs, can I tell you, maybe God brought you here today so you could go running to him in your exhaustion, and not into something that you're gonna regret 10 times more when the dust settles a year later. Maybe God brought you here this morning to save you before the burnout takes you a place you were never made to go. So back to our question. What might God be up to in us in the land between? Let's read on, verse 16. Here's what happens next. God hears Moses and he says, Bring me 70 of Israel's elders who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people, have them come to the tent of meeting that they may stand there with you. Two things, this tent of meeting is also what we call the tabernacle. Maybe you've heard about the tabernacle. It's like when they were in the promised land, it was like a little portable temple and they wouldn't go there to meet with each other. It was where people would go to meet with God. And usually it'd be one person like a priest who would go in and perform religious services on behalf of all the people, but this time God says something unique. He says, Moses, I want you to get 70 of God's people, trusted people, leaders from the community, and I want you to bring them into the tabernacle with you, and I want to meet with you there. The verse continues, he says, and I'm going to come down and speak with you there, and I'm going to take some of the power of the Spirit that is on you, and I'm going to put it on them. They will share the burden of the people with you so that you do not have to carry it alone, not have to carry it alone, underlined on purpose. Do you remember what Moses said to God in his prayer from the land between? I can't carry them. God says, I'm going to raise up some people then to carry it with you. It's beautiful that God would meet with Moses in his place and in his space. It's beautiful that the God who speaks every language to ever have existed speaks this man's language to him, but not only that language, the same words. And he said, do you need somebody to carry something with you? Let me give you 70. The land between is fertile ground for provision. For God's provision in your life. The land between where we learn something about the character of God. God is a provider in his very nature. He wants to provide for you. He wants to give you what you need. Your pain is not lost on him. It's not absent to him. He's not off doing something else. He sees it and there is a chance he's taken you to the land between so he can provide for you in ways that you've never seen him do before. He loves you enough to take you places where you will experience him in new ways because he's what you need it is not the thing that you're after god in his very kind and loving nature is a provider he gives good gifts to his kids we call this grace it's one of the first verses that kids memorize in Sunday school. With John three sixteen, for God so loved the world, He what? He gave. God is a giver. He is generous. He is kind, and He knows what you need even more than you do for yourself. But you got to let Him. It might be that time in the morning and you decide to read your Bible and you end up in a situation that afternoon and that's exactly what you needed to know because that word prepared you for that situation. It could be the coffee you're having with a friend and they say something and, and how did they know to say that? And they shared their struggle with you and they had no idea but you were going through that same struggle and now you have a comfort in that. It could be that podcast you were listening to and, and all of a sudden, how did they know to talk about this on this day? Oh, I know know there is a god he is sovereign he sees and he loves you enough to send a message directly to you so how do you apply this what do you do with this you keep your hands open momentum see we have mastered the get it to god part and to be honest with you i think god can handle our pain i think he can handle our lament our tears our crying and even our anger we have nailed the like god help! God, do something! But what we have forgotten to do is keep our hands open and our eyes up so he can provide for us and put in our hands what it is we truly need. He's a provider. Keep your hands open, momentum. Matthew 7, verse 9, which of you, if your son asked for bread, would give him a stone? Or if he asked for a fish, would give him a snake? If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more would your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him keep your hands open, momentum? I'm going to tell you something. Our story is about to take an obscure turn. Because after providing these people that are gonna carry the burden with Moses, God shows back up and he says, Tell the people, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow, when you will eat meat. The Lord heard you when you wailed, if only we had meat to eat. We were better off in Egypt and now will you give us meat so we can eat it. You will eat it not just for one day, but for two days or five days or 20 days, but for a whole month until it comes out your nostrils and you loathe it because you've rejected the Lord who is among you and you have wailed before him saying, why did we ever leave Egypt? And then Moses goes, God, we're, we're in the desert. Where are we going to get meat for all these people? And so then God, if you read the story, he, he blows a storm out of the West and, and it blows quail in from this area, and then poof, we got quail, and, and so there's more quail than people know what to do with, and they're just out of the sky, and oh my gosh, this is deliz- they're eating quail left, right, and then all of a sudden something happens, so there's this disease that spreads in Israel because of the quail. There's a plague associated with it, and some of the people in Israel lose their lives. You go, what the heck is up with that? That doesn't fit my narrative. Well, here's the truth. The land between this fertile ground for God's discipline. Hebrews 12:6, the Lord disciplines those he loves. Here's the note if you want the picture of it. Sometimes God will allow pain in your life that shapes you to avoid pain in your life that will end you. There are times when God will allow pain in your life that shapes you to avoid pain in your life that will destroy you you're parenting the teenager, and they're like, oh my gosh, mom and dad, can I go on the trip with so-and-so, we're going to be away on Saturday and Sunday, but we'll be back, and I'll go to bed, and I'll be up on school on Monday, and they're like, where are they going, and You're like, okay, are their parents going, yeah, there's parents going, we're going to chaperone Saturday, Sunday, it's going to be awesome, Disney, and the whole thing, and the California adventure, and they said we could come, and I want to go, and you go, hey, no problem, just clean up your room, and, and make sure the paper's done before you go, and, and so that's Monday, and they're like Tuesday, and then Wednesday, and then Thursday. And then Friday, and they got to be up early to make it the next morning. And they're like, "Mom and Dad, I'm so pumped." And you go, "Hey, no problem. Let me see your room and the paper." And they go, "Oh, okay." And you see a bunch of stuff just kind of shoved by the bed, not even under the bed. And you go, "Let me see the paper." And it's an eight-page eight paper, and they've got the, the intro started, and, and it's just the sentence. You're like, "Where's the rest of the paper?" And they're like, "No, no, no. It's good. I'll get it when I get back." Are you going to let your kid go on the trip? And all the parents said, "No way." Why? You love them too much to let those habits grow in their lives. It's all cute and fun when it's some mess in your room and an eight-page paper on penguins, but when you grow up and you get a little older and all of a sudden it's work deadlines and showing up for people and keeping your nose clean and living a stand-up life in the world around you, those habits could eventually destroy you and any good parent is going to love their kid too much to allow those habits that will eventually destroy them to grow in their life. God's the same way. There's times when He loves you too much to let you have your way. There's times when He will, in fact, allow pain in your life to shape you. The question is, are you willing to be formed by it? Because I know God's good, and I know God's faithful. The question is, will I allow myself to trust that and be shaped? which is really the key word today. If you're listening to this whole story start to finish and you were like, Matt, what the heck is going on? Like, why are they in the desert? Why the Why not just take them where they need to go and and give them what they need to eat and make sure everything's well and good and then when they're there, they'll high-five each other and it's all well and good and all this stuff and everybody will live happily ever after and it'll look more like Disney movies because, come on, we want it to look like Disney, right? Not quail and weird stuff and ambiguous seasons and all this stuff. Why, Matt? Well, the answer is right here. It's trust. The question... That God asks your heart and mine in the land between is will you trust me? These people were not, they were not leaving Egypt as this group of well-organized God followers who knew how to live holy and good lives. They were coming out as ex-slaves with no training, no government, no education. They don't know who God is. They've been indoctrinated by this pagan culture with all their idols for ages. And God wants to take them and deliver them and turn them into a society that will love Him and shine His light in the world around them. How do you take slaves and turn them into a society you teach them to trust God? The question of the land between is will you trust Him? It's will you trust me to lead you from here to there? For Israel, it was, will you trust me when Pharaoh's army is chasing you and closing in on you? Will you trust me when you don't know where your next meal is coming from? Will you trust me when it feels like you're rowing a boat and you can't see where you came from and you can't see where you're going, but you just have to know that God is enough? The message and the movement of the land between is trust. It's growing. growing in your trust for God and His care for your life. So what do you do in The Land Between? I'll teach you the prayer of The Land Between. God, I don't like this. I don't understand this, but I trust you. I don't wanna be here much longer but I trust that you're doing something in it. I trust that a day will come when I'm on the other side of this and I'm more of who you made me to be because of this. And I trust that although this hurts one day, maybe just maybe you are shaping me for something greater than myself. Maybe you've brought me to this place because there's somebody out there who needs me one day. And without this, I can't help them you have to trust that's great faith and that's what we're here to build so I want to invite you to stand and we're gonna do a song but before we do I just want to pray for you God this morning Here and now, I pray that you would meet with us. For people who feel like they're in the land between right here and right now, God, I pray that you would build that trust in their souls. I pray that people would experience the comfort of your great love for us. I pray that people would experience what it's like to know that you're up there and that you're up to something, whether we feel it or not. For people in the room, God, with great pain and places that they never wanted to be, I pray you would show up as their sustainer and their supporter. I pray that we would see that you are a provider, that we're not lost to you, that you give gifts and they're just what we need. God, and I pray in real ways you would shape us when we're in the land between. Writing new stories on our hearts of your grace and goodness. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship together.